0: Let me encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 16. This morning we are continuing our study through this first book of our Bibles, this book of beginnings, uh, looking to discern from God's Word uh, His great mission and plan and the means it is meant to serve us in our lives following after those who have gone before us in the life of faith. We're going to read the entirety of chapter 16 this morning, so I invite you to follow along as we hear from the Lord. This is His holy, authoritative, profitable word for His people. Genesis 16. Now Sarai... Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her. And she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called beer Lahalroi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. May God bless the reading of his word. The preaching of his word for our souls this morning. Let me ask us a question as we begin to consider this text. What does it mean to be known? To be be truly known? And as we consider that question... Is that something we want? Now that might depend on what we mean by that. The thought of being known, being truly known, it it can bring some comfort. It can bring certainly some fears. The idea of being known, truly intimately known, may stir up ideas of what was that look like? How will I be exposed? If we linger long enough on that thought, what we really want is to be loved. We want to be loved. And when we consider what that means authentically, we begin to recognize that to be, to be truly loved, it means to be known and wanted. To be authentically loved, it has to have a component of being intimately known. Now, we recognize the vulnerability of that idea, of that thought. But that's where authentic love can meet us to be truly, vulnerably exposed and known, and in that, to be wanted. This text this morning reveals for us the reality of those questions, of what it means to be known, to be loved, to be wanted, even in the midst of that exposure and the mess that might come to the surface. Our text this morning, it it pushes forward the narrative that we have been following along in this book of beginnings. God is now at work. He is committed to redeem for himself a people, a people of his own possession. And we have seen in the last few chapters that he is committed to this mission of redemption, of of gathering a people unto himself through the person, the father, Abram. We have seen God's commitment to this and Last week, when we saw God's willingness to take an oath upon himself to display how committed he is to bring a people, even through Abram. God is deeply committed and desirous to call out a people for himself. And our text this morning is pushing that narrative forward, but this this seems like a bit of an interruption. It's a surprising way for that story to continue to unfold. It almost seems as it's a hiccup in this work of God. And what we have to remember this morning is that our Bibles, they are not just a record of history. right? Our Bibles do record for us a history, but it's, it's not merely a record of history. It is the unfolding of revelation. This book, it means to communicate to us who God is, his heart for his people, and it holds out itself as a mirror to reflect and expose our own hearts as well. The history is a history of redemption an unfolding of revelation and the details of this chapter are meant to reveal the inner workings of the human heart which has fallen in sin running alongside a god committed to redeem a people to himself and so this is not this is not a a step aside from the work of God. This is an exposure of how that work needs to be done. God wants to reveal the human heart and reveal his heart for humans. See, humanity is desperately flawed. We saw this take place in chapter 3 where mankind rebelled against God's good commands to go after his own way. And the result of that is brokenness, rebellion, flawed thinking and perspective. Humanity is desperately fraught, broken where they are. And God is calling mankind to trust him by faith, to turn from our rebellious ways And to place hope in God and his redeeming work. And this chapter for for the history of God's people, for the original audience, and for us this morning is meant to expose our hearts, reveal the heart of God, and see how this work of redemption should be applied to our lives as we seek to live by faith, even when it's hard. See, faith, Christian faith is not this, this idea and this, this one part of life that we participate in on Sunday mornings. Christian faith is meant to function in our lives. It's, it's a faith that does work, that's meant to be applied, that That is meant to shape and mold how we think, the way we feel, the decisions we make, the options we choose. Faith is meant to function in our lives. And when the difficulties of life, the circumstances of life, don't don't play out the way we think they should, the function of our faith gets challenged. And that's what we have in this text before us. And so kind of our main point to consider from this text is that faith that functions, it needs to be fueled by something. We need need divine fuel to operate in faith. Because if we leave it just up to circumstances, it will waver. And this text this morning reveals for us... That the fuel for functioning faith is encountering a God who sees and hears. Encountering a God who knows us. That's what we have. We're going to tackle this this chapter in, in three main sections. The first section is titled Unmet Expectations and the Plans of Men. Unmet expectations. This chapter begins with these words. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This is an issue of circumstance. We saw last week the amazing commitment of the Almighty God to fulfill his covenant promises to Abram and his household. He is committed to bring a nation Through this man, and immediately following that chapter, which held out great promise and God's commitment, we see circumstances that don't match the promises of God where they are right now. She bore him no children. There is temptation immediately risen to the surface in this chapter to ask the question, that faith in the promises of God, how will it function when the circumstances of life don't seem to line up? Abram is now in his mid-80s. Sarai, her mid-70s. They have been in the land that God has called them to for 10 years years. God's promises to Abram to make from him a nation of blessing, this covenant that was powerfully displayed, God has shown forth his commitment in amazing ways and surely Abram has rehearsed that commitment of the Lord again and again in his mind and surely he has rehearsed that commitment of the Lord to his wife again and again. And yet, verse one, she bore him no children. God's promises seem to be undelivered. How will faith function? The temptations come to question God in. His promises and in His timing. Why? Because, well, days turn over to weeks. And weeks turn over to months. And months to years. And now a decade of waiting. What would you do? What would you do in a time of such long waiting? Knowing that God has promised and yet... The circumstances don't change. How do we operate in functioning faith when these circumstances don't line up with with the expectations that we have based on the promises of God? See, here's, here's what we often do. We often wrap up our faith in God and His promises with our own expectations of the circumstances. We say, I know God is good and God promises this for my life and then out of that, we concoct the circumstances with our own expectations. And therefore, our faith in God and his promises gets wrapped up with what we expect will be the circumstances of life. And when we do that, We have a measure of faith leaning on the circumstantial. And that's shaky ground. That will cause us to ask questions. Questions of God and his faithfulness. Questions of God and his timing. Questions of God and his commands for our lives. And we will find ways, yes we will, We will find ways in our hearts that are prone to wander to bend and lean and sidestep and compromise because we think these are the circumstances that we should have. This is exactly what Sarah does. She feels the pressure of unmet expectations. Sarah brings a suggestion to Abram. And this suggestion comes from this burden, this burden of of wavering faith in the middle of unmet expectations. She is struggling, struggling not only with with unmet expectations, but she's even struggling with, with questions of her own identity and worth. You can hear it in how she presents the dilemma to Her husband. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. I have borne him no children. Yes, God has promised to bring these things. Yes, it is that promise to Abram. But surely, surely I am not the one to deliver and be a part of those promises. Unmet expectations. Considering her own identity in the midst of those unmet expectations and it leave her asking questions of, is she even valuable? Her barrenness is a daily accusation of her worth. Church, we need to understand something. This culture of the day, the value of women was almost totally wrapped up In their ability to bring heirs. Their value in the culture of the day was almost completely wrapped up with their ability to bring forth a household. And so a barren woman was seen as as a lost commodity. The unmet expectations, the questions of her own identity, even the pressure of the promises of God seem to be heaped upon this woman and in the midst of those challenges and those difficulties, she comes up with compromise and suggests to her husband that her servant, Hagar, could be a solution to the dilemma. Every day that passes adds more weight to her feelings of worthlessness. And she needs a solution. Now we have to ask ourselves maybe we've found ourselves in similar situations. Maybe today or some other day we have been in a place where the circumstances of life have not met our expectations. The, the value system of our culture seems to press upon us a sense of worthlessness, a devaluing of who we are, a feeling that we are just a little bit less than. Maybe you've been tempted more and more to wrap your identity up in what the cultural calls out as this is what's valuable and you're not measuring up. Are you pretty enough? Are you successful enough in your career? Do you have enough money? Do you have the right possessions as you look at others around you? Are you meeting the expectations of those around you? Are you fitting in? There's all sorts of ways that the world around us holds up value identities that that we are so tempted to cling to. People see me as valuable because of my ability to perform in athletic feats, my intelligence, my success in career, my beauty that is seen on the outside. And when those things falter and fail, those pressures, they can squeeze. On us and squeeze in us, and we ask questions of our worth. We take stock in our circumstances, and then we question the faithfulness of God and in His ways, and out of that, we plot and plan ways that we can fix it. Sarai comes up with a suggestion. This is what she. Does She sees the circumstances of life coming unmet, and so she takes matters into her own hands. Well, spoiler alert. For the rest of the Bible, if you haven't read it through yet, that gets repeated. Again and again, the human heart is prone to move faith away from God and his character and his promises. Move it to expectations we have and then to take matters into our own hands and spoil alert for life that doesn't end in the last chapter of the bible it happens in our lives as well she gives to abram her servant now sarai turns to a common practice of the culture around her to solve the problem of unmet expectations, she turns to a servant in her household and gives this servant to her husband in order to produce an heir in the house to solve the dilemma of unmet expectations. Polygamy and concubinage, they were common in the ancient Near East. And so this is not immediately some sort of dark and sinister plan on Sarah's thinking, though it might seem like that to our first reading. She's not turning to something dark and sinister. She's ter- turning to a cultural common practice of the day. And when we keep reading our Bibles, we see that this is not a one-time solution. It happens again and again. And it seems to happen often in the characters that are highlighted in these pages throughout Scripture. So we have to ask this question. Is this something sanctioned by God? Polygamy, it is clear That the Bible does not speak of this practice with prescriptive commendation. We need to remember something when we read our Bibles. We have things that are prescribed in our Bible and things that are described in our Bible. And it's helpful for us to be clear about the difference when we see those. The Bible describes the practice of polygamy, but very often in our Bibles, it makes clear the destruction that that choice brings. And so the Bible does not prescribe this as a practice for Christian life and for faithful living. The Bible is clear about marriage between one man and one woman in a one-flesh union To honor him. So, her suggestion, it's not immediately abhorrent. What I want us to see is it is a common practice of the culture in order to solve unmet expectations. The practice of the day could deliver the expectations she's not experiencing. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are the common cultural practices around us that we may be tempted to lean into to bring expectations into our lives that we want? What is the common cultural practices that we can be tempted to say, well, you know, everybody's kind of doing that. Everybody's going that way. That we, we can compromise on God's design for us. See, this is the struggle of functioning faith. We want to trust the Lord, we want to live by his promises, but when we have unmet expectations, we search for other ways, and often that includes a little bit of compromise. And we miss God's will for our lives. Now, why do we do this? Why are we tempted in this way? Well, often we are called to have functional faith in a season of waiting. And if you've lived just a little bit, you know waiting is hard. It's difficult. The clock has been ticking on their Lives Ten years they have been in the land that God brought them to. Her her days are passing on and this waiting is a challenge to functional faith. So what is the result of this plan, this going her own way and suggesting it? Well, it brings about the sad effects of sin to step aside from God's will and plan, it brings devastation and destruction. The result of taking matters into our own hands with compromise, even when we justify it, we bend the clear will of God for our lives, we drift from the promises and trusting in who God is, and the result is often so devastating. Abram, the end of verse 2, listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after they had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. There's the plan. Now, look at the devastation that follows. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And she saw that she had conceived. She looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram and Sarah, uh, but Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled. Nothing but devastation and destruction. Unmet expectations leading to taking matters into our own hands, and the sad effects of sin are the result. There's a lot of sin in this text. But before we are quick to point fingers and to read with accusation, we have to weigh all of the context of what's going on. When we read our Bibles, we we need to be aware of that. When we read the, the descriptions of the sad effects of sin in our Bibles, we need to be careful and be aware of something that I call reader's innocence, where we we read our Bibles and, we, and we, we look at the sin being described before us and we think, how could they do that? How could they go that way and have that attitude and think that way? And look, it's, it's just a few sentences above where they see God's amazing commitment to love and be faithful to them. The Bible wants to reveal the hearts of sinful humanity, and we should beware to not read it with an innocence that is untouched in our own lives. The description of the sad effects of sin should leave us with questions of our own areas of compromise when we have unmet expectations. Sarah's struggling to trust And in this difficulty of leaning in the Lord, she turns to the culture and we see the effects of sin. And listen, she's not the only one to blame here. There is no innocent party in this text. Abram falls as well. And in fact, The Bible makes clear Moses, our author of this text, he wants us to pick up on some familiar language that takes place in this text. He tells us in the end of verse 2, when Sarai brings this suggestion, it says that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. He listened to the voice of his wife. Does that sound familiar? Chapter three, when Eve took from the forbidden tree and then had a suggestion for her husband. And it tells us in the curse, in chapter three, in verse 17, that Abram, because you, or for Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, husband, brothers, brothers. We're reading descriptive sections of passage here, right? This is not a prescription. Don't want to be like Adam. I don't want to be like Abram. Not going to listen to my wife. (laughs) That's not what's being prescribed here. What's being prescribed. What's being described is when we are so burdened by unmet expectations, that we lose sight of God's desired will for our lives and plot and plan ways to take for ourselves. We see a reflection of Adam in this text with Abram and his decision to go forward with this plan. We also see a reflection of Pharaoh. It was just a few chapters before where Abram lied about Sarai being his wife said he was his sister and we are told that Pharaoh the Egyptian took Sarai for his wife and now Abram does a reflection of the same thing and takes Hagar the Egyptian for his wife bending in order to make these things come forth. He is not an innocent party and even Hagar, who seems at first to be such a victim of these circumstances, even she is not innocent in this. When she becomes pregnant and she is elevated now from servant to wife, she wells up in herself foolish pride and looks on Sarai with contempt. I'm more valuable than you. I'm more worthy than you. Look what I can do. That contempt leaves Sarai with bitter jealousy that turns over into harsh treatment and then Hagar flees away. Listen, this is a mess. This is an absolute mess. Unmet expectations, matters into our own hands, following forward with decisions that seem to compromise from the desired will of God and there is nothing but a mess. Can you relate? Maybe your life has done something similar. Maybe you've had experiences that have left you in a place where you feel like it's an absolute mess. I believe that the Spirit of God and His Word wants to speak into that this morning as we see what takes place in the midst of this mess. The angel of the Lord comes and finds Hagar in her running away from the mess. In her fleeing the situation, it's clear from the text that the angel of the Lord who comes to find Hagar in her fleeing, that he knows her and the situation. In verse 8, he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, he knows her. He knows who she is. He knows where she has come from. And yet, the angel of the Lord finds her in the wilderness, calls her by name, and then asks her some questions. Where have you come from? And where are you going? These are important questions. And I believe some of us need to assess our current situation with these same questions some of us are in a mess some of us have made poor decisions we have bent our ways away from the will of god and i believe that god's word this morning comes to us to ask these questions where have you come from and where do you think you're going Listen, the Christian life, the life of faith, it affords us to take a time out. None of us have made decisions that have caused such a mess that we don't have the ability to just call time out, pause game, and ask these questions Where have I come from? the household of God and of faith and, and where do I think I'm going with the decisions I'm making for the expectations I want. And listen, the life of faith has unlimited timeouts. You can do this as many times as you feel like you are fleeing, wandering because of mess in your life. You can pause. Game and ask these questions. It's not like the Super Bowl game tonight where there's a limited amount of timeouts. You have as many as you need. I don't give out a lot of guarantees, but I can guarantee one thing about tonight's game. There will be more times that the camera cuts. To Taylor Swift, then there are timeouts afforded to each team. That's a guarantee. Listen, some of us need to ask this question. In the midst of our mets, in the midst of our lives, we just need to ask, okay, where have I come from? Where am I going in light of God's desired will for me? Ask those questions and ask God to meet you with answers. It's what he does for Hagar. He comes to her. And we have in this text an amazing display of what theologians call the transcendence and the imminence of God. I want us to learn these words this morning. The transcendence of God. Of God is a word that theologians use just to describe God's sovereign, almighty authority. That God is not like us, that he is other than us, so high and above, one that we behold with wonder and awe. He is transcendent, and this transcendent God is also imminent. Which means he is near, intimately involved, intimately knowing, and stepping in, even to our mess. And that is what gets revealed in the following verses to Hagar as she tries to run away from the circumstances of life. The transcendent God reveals himself imminently to her to let her know that he knows her, that he hears her and sees her. And this, I believe, for us this morning is something we all need to understand for our lives, that God is imminent. He knows us, even in our mess, even when you think, Pastor Dan, you don't know how messy it is. He knows He sees and he hears. Look at these words. He asks the question. She says, she has no reason to try and twist words. She just says, I'm running away. I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. And the angel says to her, return and submit. He gives a promise to her of the fruitfulness that will come from this pregnancy. And then she declares, that he is a God of seeing and hearing. The name of the child Ishmael means a God who hears. She declares that this angel of the Lord knows intimately her situation. We have recorded for us in verse 13. Truly, here I I have seen him who looks after me. He looks after her even in the midst of her mess. God knows us, is aware of our faults and our flaws, our poor decisions, the mess of our lives, and he comes to us to reveal his intimate knowledge of us and, get this now, that he wants us. That question we asked in the beginning of authentic love, it is supremely and perfectly displayed in God's transcendence and imminence and committed desire to redeem. He knows you, and he wants you. He knows all of you, and he, wa- he wants you. Now notice the instruction of the angel. He sends her back. Back to the very situation and circumstance from which she is fleeing. There is no promise in this text. There is no declaration that I'll change all the circumstances. It's okay to go back now. No, he sends her back and calls her to submit to the messy circumstances that she was fleeing from. But to do it with a functioning faith. A faith that can trust God even when the circumstances of life seem to go ways that we don't expect. He sends her back and calls her to submit. Listen. Our submitting to the will of God is not contingent on the circumstances of life. Our submitting to the will of God is not contingent on the actions and attitudes of others. We don't wait for them to start acting right before we are gonna submit to God's will in our lives. No, we're called to repent and submit despite the circumstances and the actions and attitudes of others. Biblical faith does not call us to live for the circumstances, but it does fuel us to live in the circumstances. The angel of the Lord came near to Hagar to give hope in the midst of great trial. Proverbs 3 tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths, not He will meet your expectations. Straight your paths in His will for your life. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And it will be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your bones. Trusting God in the midst of challenging circumstances is following his clear will for our lives. And he knows us intimately and comes to meet us. Now, how do we know that this is ultimately true? Because... I have not had the same experience as Hagar. I have not been in my life in the midst of my mess and the angel of the Lord came and said, Dan, where are you going? Where have you come from? But I have something even better. I have before me the supreme display of God's knowing me and commitment to loving me and redeeming me because there is one there is one who has entered the wilderness there is one who has entered the wilderness and come and found me and spoken life to my dead heart there is one who has found us in our wandering, found us in our fleeing, found us in our rebellion and called us back, bidding us repent and submit. The God who sees and hears has looked upon the brokenness of sinners, their waywardness He has taken upon himself their broken perception of identity, their misguided plans, their abdication and apathy, their foolish pride, their bitter harshness. There is one who has taken all of that, brought it upon himself, and sacrificed his own life as a display of his intimate knowledge and wanting us. Jesus, the Son of God, has stepped into the wilderness to find sinners where they are in their mess and said, repent and come and know forgiveness and submit to a life of faith that will refresh your bones and heal your flesh. Listen, this morning, whatever mess you are in on the cross is a supreme display of God saying to you, I hear you, I see you, I know you, and I've come to rescue you. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for your committed love even to those who are wayward and lost. We praise you and thank you that you love us despite are failing despite our horrific rebellion and mistakes in life. We thank you that you are so committed to stepping into the wilderness and finding us in our lostness and bringing us back. We thank you for the gift of faith and for grace to press on in it. And I pray this morning that you will make yourself known to those who need to know that you see and hear, and bring grace to their souls. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.